Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Last week, one of the things that we talked about was that we were kind of making a, a, a change in our mission statement. It wasn't a change in what we are doing But really, it was a change in the language to kind of align uh, the words that we use with the words that we use here and uh, to kind of acknowledge who we are as a church and and the culture that we find ourselves in as a church. So last week, we kind of introduced this modification, uh, our new um, mission statement, and that is our mission is to meet people where they are and to inspire them to follow Jesus. And one of the things that we talked about is that as a church, as we move forward, it's important for us to kind of decide ahead of time, who is it that we are? And who is it that God has called us to be? And what I suggested last week was that in order for us to figure that out, that we looked at it from the framework of, at the very end of all this, what would we want our cities and our communities to thank us for? And it's nothing profound. Uh, If you uh, have ever gone through one of these exercises, and maybe many of you have, that at some point someone says to you, you know, if you want to really figure out how you should be living your life, that you should start with, how do you want people to talk about you at your funeral? What do you want people to say when they stand up and come up front and talk about your life and and what happened in your life and who you were? What were the things that you want people to say about you and then go out and live that life? And so as a church, we kind of want to do the same thing. We want to say, well, what is it that we want to leave behind? That people would look around the landscape of the cities that we have been a part of and what would we want them to say? And so last week we talked about the three things that, that we would want people to look at and say, yeah, that's, that's what we want people to be thankful for, that Grace Point Church was here. And so we said the first one was a world where the church is considered an essential part of every community. And what that simply means is, is that whether you are a Christian or not, whether you attend any church or whether you attend this church, or if you don't go to church at all, that regardless of whether where you are, that you would look at the churches in our cities and that you would say, boy, you know, I don't really trust uh, the things that they're saying. I don't really believe everything that they're, that they're teaching, but I am so glad that those guys are here. You know, I'm not sure that I buy into everything that they, that they talk about there, but if I could hire only Christians, I would do that because they're so trustworthy and they work so hard. And so we said, man, that is one of the things that we want to leave behind is, 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 is a world where people want churches to be there. That they're excited when a new church comes in because of the impact that the church has. The second thing that we said is that we wanted to leave behind a world where people who were skeptical of what we believe are envious of how well we treat each other and amazed at how well we treat them. And this was really the hallmark of the early church. That in the very beginning, when the Christian church was just a few hundred people, that what people saw was that they would look inside the church and they would see how well the Christians treated each other. And they said, I want to be a part of that. And then when 
when the people who were in the cities started to leave the cities because disease came and pain came, that it was the Christians who stayed behind and took care of the people who were there. And people were amazed at this. And the third thing that we said was, we wanted to see a world where people want the story of Jesus to be true, even before they believe it's true. Because listen, who wouldn't want the story of Jesus to be true? Who wouldn't want to know that there is a God up there who looks at us and knows us individually and wants to treat us as a perfect heavenly father would treat their child? Who wouldn't want to believe that in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the heartache in the world that we live in today, that there is a plan for something more? And a plan for something better. And so we said that in, in light of all of this, that our mission has to be to meet people where they are. Not to sit back and wait for them to come. But to meet people where they are. And then inspire them to follow Jesus. And what I kind of left you with at the end was, was to remind all of you who are here. Maybe some of you who are, aren't here today, but you're out traveling, you're watching us online. That you are Grace Point. And you might be thinking, how is that possible? I don't really do anything. I just come here every week. Listen, when you serve here, it makes this your church. And when you give here, it makes this your church. And when you come here every week, I can't even tell you how encouraging that is to each other that you're here. And this is your church. And so there are often different things that we do. But listen, here's the catch. As much as I love our mission. And as much as uh, you're going to hear me talk about it, and you're going to hear other people up front who are going to talk about it, and, and you're going to see it in the things that we do, and, and, and it'll be printed up in different places that you're going to see, it's not going to make any difference in the communities that we are in unless we decide to re-embrace the habit that God used to do what He's already done here in our church. And one of the things that I've noticed and I've seen is that we kind of backed off of that. That in the very beginning, when there was just a handful of people here, that we made a decision that we were going to do something and make that a habit for our church. And it wasn't intentional, but it's just that things happen so quickly, so unexpectedly, and we kind of let it drift away. And so part of this series that we're in, and and especially as we wrap up next week, is going to be re-embracing that habit, what, what we call a keystone habit, that got us to where we are right now. And to use that opportunity to re-embrace that habit, to continue to move us into the place where God wants us to be. A couple of years ago, there was a, a guy named Charles Duhigg, and, and he wrote a book called The Power of Habit. And uh, I actually have the hardcover, um, but this is a, uh, a softcover that, that uh, I've gone through, and I think You've read this, right? This is your copy. I saw this on the thing there. But this is a great book. If you haven't had a chance to read it yet, uh, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, and in, in this book, uh, Charles Duhigg talks about a, a, something called a keystone habit. And he describes a keystone habit like this. He says that a keystone habits are habits that people introduce into their routines that unintentionally carry over into other aspects of their lives. In other words, a keystone habit 
or keystone habits are habits that produce other habits. And so he studied this, and this is what he found. He, he found out that there are some habits that when you start them, it creates in your life other habits that benefit you because you started that one habit. So one of the things that his research found that he's, he, he looked at was that if you started the habit of writing down the food that you ate every day, you just wrote down, took the time to write out somewhere what you ate every day, and you made that into a habit, then what would happen is, is as you were writing down the food that you eat, you would start to think about the food that you eat. And by writing down the food that you eat, you make better decisions about the food that you eat. And as the more that you write, and you go, okay, I am on my third cinnamon roll. (laughs) Then maybe today, because I know that as as soon as I finish that third cinnamon roll, I'm going to have to write that down. Maybe today I'm going to stop at two. Or maybe today... I'm going to take 20 minutes and I'm going to walk around my block a few times so that I can eat that third cinnamon roll. And so what he found was, was that by simply embracing the habit of writing down what it is that you eat every day, that it produces other habits, unintentional, but it produces them in your life. So another one of the keystone habits apparently is flossing your teeth. That one of the things that we as parents should do is not tell our children to brush their teeth, that we should teach them to floss their teeth. Because when you floss your teeth, it starts the habit of brushing your teeth, which starts the habit of being careful of what you do with your teeth. And it goes on and on and on, and it affects not only your mouth, but it affects your entire body. And so Charles Duhigg says that we have to be um, really intentional about the keystone habits because for good or bad, there are things that if we embrace, if we start doing, that they produce results and other habits. And from the beginning, our church had a keystone habit. And I'll bet you that there are some of you here today who have no idea what it is that I'm talking about. But it was a single habit that forced us or ensured that we would remain focused on the mission of our church. And it ensured that everything that we do helps us fulfill the mission to meet people where they are and to inspire them to follow Jesus. In other words, we had a habit that produced other habits. We had a habit that helped us make sure that everything that we did focused us in on what it was that we wanted to accomplish. And it wasn't just something that we made up out of the air. In fact, it is, um, there's a, an, a, uh, an account in Scripture that we're going to talk about today. And, and it is in this account that kind of showed why this particular keystone habit that we have uh, is so effective. So it's in uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Christian churches in an ancient city called Thessalonica. And so for those of you who know the Bible, it's in First Thessalonians. Now, in order for you to understand where we are, I want to set it up a little bit. Uh, When Paul wrote the book, uh, the first letter to the Thessalonians, he and and, uh, a friend of his, a partner in ministry, a guy named Silas, he and Silas were traveling throughout what today we would call Asia Minor. And they were going from place to place and preaching in different places and starting churches in different places. And as they went around, they ended up in the southern part of Europe in a, in a city, uh, and that city was Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was a port city, and so there were lots of different uh, people there. There were lots of different cultures. 
And so while there were Jewish churches there, there were also churches to the Roman gods. There were churches to the Greek gods. There were churches to uh, all different uh, other nationalities. There were Egyptian gods that had churches there. They had churches that weren't to gods, but to Roman politicians who they believed should be gods if they already actually weren't gods. And so they lived in a culture where there were things that competed for the attention of the Christians. Does that sound familiar? In fact, they lived in a culture where they were attacked from both sides. They were attacked by the religious traditionalists because they weren't doing it the way that they had been doing it for thousands of years. And they were attacked by the culturalists, the people who lived in that culture, who wanted everybody to be free to do whatever they wanted to do. And so Paul and Silas, when they were in Thessalonica, they were, um, the the people who were there, the, the leaders of the church, they were worried for their safety. And so before they could do anything, they preached a couple of sermons, and then after that, they pulled them out of Thessalonica. The leaders gathered them and, and snuck them back out of the city because they were worried that they would get hurt. And so Paul and Silas, they kept going on, and eventually Paul ended up in a city called Corinth. And while he was in Corinth, he wrote this letter to the Christians in Thessalonica. And so we're going to start off in chapter 2, verse 2, and this is what it says. It says, and this is Paul, and he's talking to the church in Thessalonica. He says, Yet our God gave us the courage to declare this good news to you boldly, in spite of great opposition. In other words, God is the one who allowed us to speak to you freely, without any stress, without having to worry about our words, but that we could just talk to you and tell you what it is that we had to tell you. He goes on and he says, So you can see... We were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. Now, in this particular time, uh, there were evangelists. And I'm not talking about evangelists who were connected to a church, but they were evangelists in the sense that they went out and tried to talk to people about their beliefs or their gods, and they tried to collect money for it. So there were evangelists for the Greek gods who would go around and they would, they would talk to people, they would preach about the Greek gods, and they would then ask people for money for listening to them preach. And they would go from city to city, and this, is, this was how they made their living. And so everyone who was in Thessalonica who would hear these evangelists that would travel around from all these different religions and different beliefs, and they were skeptical of them. Because there was always, they were always there, there were so many of them, And they were worried that you couldn't tell who to believe or who not to believe. And so Paul is saying that, listen, if you listened to us, if you heard what we were saying, you could tell that we weren't trying to trick you, that we didn't have any other motive. In fact, in verse 4, he says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. In other words, we have been trusted with this responsibility. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. See, he's saying, it's not, we're not telling you these things so you'll like us. We're not telling you these things because we want you to do something for us. What we recognize is, is that there is nothing that makes God happier than when someone who doesn't know him makes the decision to get to know him. When someone makes the decision to reconnect with him. 
In verse 5 it says, Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. And so Paul is reminding them that when you heard us talk, that there was sincerity in it because we weren't trying to get anything out of you. He goes on and he says, As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But instead, and listen to what he says. He says, Instead, we were like children among you. See, he was saying to them, Listen, uh, we didn't look down on you. We didn't think that we were better than you. We went to you humbly because we had something that we wanted to share to you. And then he contrasts that and he says, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. He's saying, listen, it's a one-way street. For those of you who are mothers, you remember the time when you were taking care of a child? That you were giving everything and the child gave nothing. I mean, it wasn't like you fed the baby and then he pulled out his wallet and gave you $20. Although that would have been nice. right? But that's not what happened. When you're taking care of a child, it's a one-way street. And Paul is reminding them that we, that's how we were. We, we were just there to serve you. And now here's the key. In fact, here is what they did. And here is what it is that we are called to do. This next verse is what explains our keystone habit. What explains the thing that in the beginning we did and that now I am going to to invite you to be a part of us doing it again and making it our focus again. This is how he he said it. He said in verse 8, he says, We loved you so much. Right, And that that phrase is the same phrase that, that... people would use to describe the affection of a mother to to their child. He says, We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. You see, what he was saying is this, is that not only did we talk to you and tell you about this message that we have that we were supposed to convey to you, but we invested our lives in you. We served you. We helped you. We worked around the house. We earned our keep while we were here. We didn't just come here and spit this out, but that we befriended you, that we made your life a part of our life and our life a part of your life. There's a, a saying that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so sometimes you see these people, and, and yeah, I, I talk about this a lot, the first time that we came back here uh, to the Bay Area after we had been living in Central Florida for a long time, we were downtown at the Powell Street Station and there was a guy standing on the turned upside down milk carton, or milk, uh, not carton, that would have been weird, a milk crate, right? If he was on a milk carton, that would have been a totally different thing. But he was, on the, he was on the, standing on an upside down milk crate. And he was preaching and telling people that they were, you know, going to HE double hockey sticks. And no one was listening to him. And people were trying to avert their gaze, trying not to make eye contact with him. Because they didn't care what he had to say. Because they didn't know him. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. 
And so Paul is, is talking to them and he's reminding them that not only did he have a message to give them, but he was a part of their lives, that he cared for them. That it wasn't just knowledge that he was there to give, but it was also care. He loved them. He cared for them. And only after that he had spent the time and showed that he cared for them, did he in, introduce the message, the good news that he was there to share with them. And so, the keystone habit that we had from the beginning, was this what Paul did? What Paul did there, and what we need to get back to, is to invest and invite. To invest in people's lives and then invite them to meet Jesus. See, most of you who are here today, you're here because someone invested in your life and then invited you to something. They invested in your life and they invited you to church. Or they invested in your life and they invited you to a small group. They invested in your life and they invited you to meet with someone who could share the message of the gospel. But someone invested in you first. And then... After you knew that they cared about you, they made an invitation to you to come here. For some of you, there are people who are here today because you invested in them without any motive, but through your life you've invested in them and then you made the invitation to them. And that is what we started doing here from the very beginning. It was the influence engine that got us started and then got people starting to come here. Listen, it, was, it wasn't the music. And the music was, well, okay, come on, let's be honest. In the beginning, the music was okay. It's great now. But in the beginning, it was all right. But that wasn't it. It, it wasn't the charcuterie. I know that some of you are really, really invested in that. And, and hey, listen, that pepperoni sometimes is really, really good. You really need it sometimes. But it wasn't that. It wasn't my preaching. That wasn't what got people to come here. It was our commitment as a church to invest in the lives of people and then invite them to meet Jesus. Even our online presence and I was completely surprised by this. Uh, last year, we, we were notified by Yelp that we are a, uh, a place that people love on Yelp. And I didn't know that. Uh, the only reason I figured, out, figured that out is because that thing came in the email, and apparently people go to Yelp to find out where they can go and find a church, which now makes sense to me. And now I'm hungry. Listen, when we embrace the idea of investing and inviting, it makes everything that we do focus in away from us and from the people who are outside who haven't yet had a chance to meet Jesus. When we focus on investing and inviting, it makes us better on every level because it allows us to evaluate everything that we do from the right perspective. It allows us to to um, not look at what we do as a church selfishly. That what we do is not about how we can benefit, but how it can benefit other people. And so we are bringing it back. But we're not just bringing it back, we are going to take it to a whole new level. 
And that's what I want to lay the foundation for this week as we, as we wrap up next week. But what I want you to start being uh, aware of, what I want you to start kind of listening for, as you go about your life, as you, as you go through the regular day-to-day, there are three things that I want you to start listening for as we talk about investing and inviting in other people. Because there are three things that when you hear should be the trigger that says to you, boy, this is a person that is ready for the invitation. And, and we're going to call them the three knots. The three knots. There's no K, so it's not string. It's the three knots. All right? And when we hear one of these three knots, it should be the thing that sparks in us the, the, the momentum to, to say, this is a person who needs an invitation, maybe an invitation to church. The first knot is this, not in church. That when you hear someone talking and they say, you know, yeah, I don't really go to any church. Oh, you're not going to any church? You should come to my church. That when you hear them say, yeah, I grew up going to church, but I don't really go anywhere right now. I'm not, not really in church right now. That you should say, you know what? I understand that completely. You should come and try my church. So the first knot is not in church. The second knot is not going well. That when you're listening into a conversation and, and someone starts talking and says, oh, you're having problems at work? You know what? You should come to my church. Oh, you're having difficulties with your family? I, I get that. You know what? You should, you should come to my church. I mean, it's not that we have all of the answers but we know someone who does. The third knot is not prepared for. You know, I just moved to the area and I was not prepared for how much it costs to live in the Bay Area. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, it's tough to make things, you know, make ends meet here. You know what? You should come to my church. Yeah, we just had a baby and I am not prepared for being a parent. Yeah, I get that. You know, you should do, you should come to my church. Any kind of unexpected life change, anything that major that happens that, that, that you recognize, because it's happened to all of us, that things come up and we're just not prepared for them. And our invitation should be, yeah, man, I get that. You should come to my church. Because when we invest and invite, you see, it's not enough to invest You've got to make the invitation. But it's not enough to make the invitation. You really have to care about people and invest in them. When we make investing and inviting the cornerstone of what we do, the keystone habit of who we are as a church, we give someone the opportunity to have their entire life changed. The way that for many of us, our lives have changed. Paul would kind of wrap up his message to the, the Thessalonians this way. In verse 12, he says this. He says, We pleaded with you, we encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for He called you to share in His kingdom and glory. See, what he was saying is this. He's saying, listen, there are people who are watching the way you live your life. They're watching you. And I am encouraging you to live your life in a way 
that inspires them to want to know why. That they would look at the way that we live our lives and say, man, I don't really understand that. I need to go find out why they are so different. And then in verse 13, he says this. He says, therefore, because of all that, therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, in other words, that when we invested in you and then when we extended that invitation to you, He says, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. In other words, when you heard what we were saying, when you experienced us investing in your life, and then you heard these words, you knew that it wasn't something that we made up. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. In other words, you recognize that there was something different about what we were saying about what you were hearing. And then he ends it this way. He says, And this word continues to work in you who believe. That that word that we gave you, it didn't stop there. That it continues to work. That it continues to give you the inspiration to go out and invest in other people and make them the invitation. The same invitation that we gave you And he's saying to us, it's the same invitation that every single one of us who have made the decision to call ourselves a Christian, who made the decision to follow Jesus somewhere in our lives, someone invested in us and then made that invitation to us. And there is someone in your life who is waiting for you to inspire them to follow Jesus. So as we wrap up our time here today, as we kind of have laid this foundation, as we talked about these three things that we should be listening out for, and as we could get to you know, wrapping up our series next week, I want to ask you the same question that I, that I ended up with last week. I want you to continue to think about that this week. Who is it in your life that is waiting for you to inspire them to follow Jesus? Who is it? Now, I know some of... Actually, one of you has already told me you're writing them down. I encourage you to do that. Write them down. There's a big, huge card on your seat, and on the back of it, it's completely empty. Start writing down the names of the people so that we can pray over them together. And next week, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to talk about that answer that you have. Who's waiting for you to inspire them to follow Jesus? Because let me tell you something. Part of that question, you know the answer. Next week, we're going to see that part of that you don't know. And how are we going to deal with all that together? So next week, we're going to wrap up our series. We're going to take it to the next level. And, and for those of you who are, who are here with us today, we're going, to, we're going to leave you with some stuff. We're going to be giving away some grace point. Um, what's the word? Swag. Swag. I'm old. I don't even know what that word is. Next week, we're going to be giving away some Grace Point swag. So for those of you who are watching us online, next week is the week to be here because you won't be leaving empty-handed. But it's all part of our re-embracing of this idea of investing and inviting, of giving people an opportunity for their life to change the way that our lives have been changed because someone invested in us and someone made that invitation to us to meet Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. 
Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.